0: All right, I'm so glad you all made it out. Very, very cool to have you all here. Um, So as you came in, you may or may not have seen, there are uh, questions right over there, and you can go ahead and write down questions and um, put, we've got a basket full of them right over there. We have, clearly, we have this little like uh, Rubbermaid deal in the center aisle that has questions right there. So here's what we're going to do. The beginning part, we're going to allow Christopher to give kind of a, uh, just as you can see, a Christian response to homosexuality. And he's going to go ahead and, and just speak And during the first 35 to 45 minutes. And so that's what's going to happen during that beginning time. And so during that, if you've got questions, if something comes to your mind and you're like, oh, that's a question I wanted to ask, feel free to write it down and it and pass it to someone that can get it to the middle aisle um, or and that, that probably would work just fine and we'll go ahead and at the end of his presentation we're going to go ahead and go through those and I'm going to be kind of filtering through to try to get as many of the like ones as I can together as possible so there's a good chance that your if your question isn't specifically read um, it's going to be something very very close to another one that I'm asking and so that's why I ignored it um, and so definitely make sure that you do that also. After I'm up, I'm at the end of it, I'm going to go ahead and come on up here with Christopher and I'm going to be asking him the questions that you've asked. And so if you still have questions, you can continue to um, write those out, pass those into the center aisle, and either Joyce or Pastor Brent are going to bring those on up to me. I'm going to go ahead and open us in a word of prayer, and then I'm going to invite Christopher to come on up. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks. In you there is hope. In you there is truth. In you, there is grace that is, just levels the playing field for every single one of us. Not one of us comes into a, uh, a breath or a moment of life, God, without an absolute need for you, for your forgiveness, for your sustaining strength and power, for your direction. Lord, I just thank you that um, you give us the opportunity as believers uh, to be able to discuss, question chew on things really really think about things and um, really come back to what is truth what do you say and how do do we let you shape us and how do we communicate gracefully to a world around us in a way that represents you well Lord I pray that you are with Christopher with his words uh, that you impact us by them and uh, that you allow tonight to be something where we walk out of here uh, completely stoked and excited about not only the life that you've given us and the breath that you've allowed us to breathe, but the opportunity to represent you well and love the world around us. Lord, I pray that you equip us to do that tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, if you were here this weekend, you um, had the opportunity, um, and we are super, super excited to have him back here this evening. Will you please give it up for Christopher Yuan?
1: Christians, we don't have a good reputation at how we approach sexual identity, the LGBT community. And Christians, we often are hesitant, anxious, um, nervous about even talking about the topic. We get all red and flustered and nervous because we don't have a good reputation. When it comes down to it, we have a bad reputation. There's a book that's called Unchristian, written by David Kinneman and Gabe Lines. David Kinneman, um, and if you're interested also, if you weren't able to be here this morning uh, to hear our story, my parents and I, um, our book is available in the back. But um, another book addresses this issue of how Christians are perceived. And it's called Unchristian, because Christians today are not perceived to be very Christian, they're perceived to be unchristian. A survey was done. Uh, And they looked at young Americans, aged 16 to 29, and they asked, when you think about the church, what do you think about? According to the survey, young Americans view Christians to be confusing, not accepting from the bottom, boring, insensitive, out of touch, too political, old-fashioned, hypocritical, judgmental. And look at what's at the very, very top, anti-homosexual. Look at those percentages, 91% of those not raised in the church, believe that we are anti-homosexual. Well, what about our youth and young adults? Well, we teach them, love the sinner, hate the sin. Well, according to this survey, 8 out of 10 of our youth and young adults believe that we are anti-homosexual. Now, let me know what it doesn't say. It doesn't say anti-homosexuality, more the issue you know, I could maybe understand that. We hold to biblical sexuality that sexual intimacy is reserved to be between a husband and wife in marriage. Anything outside of that is something that God would not bless. But I wish we were better known for what we're for than against. But that's not even what this survey show. The survey show that we are viewed to be against gay people. And that is wrong. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not against people. It's for people turning from their sins and turning to Christ, and so should we. But unfortunately, people's perception is their reality. So how could we as Christians work against that and hopefully have a better Christian response to the LGBT community? There's many ways that I could approach this issue. I could approach this issue at looking at what's going on in the government, public policy. Or I could approach this issue as a v- developmental issue or, or kind of approach this issue uh, as a rights issue. But I want us tonight to use as our foundation for a better Christian response to homosexuality the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that okay? I think the gospel of Jesus Christ should guide us in everything that we do, anything, everything that we say. So four things that I think that can guide us in having more gospel-centered, not just response to the issue, but response to our LGBT friends and loved ones in the gay community. So four things, and these will be kind of a critique on the church and a critique on Christians, how we need to do a better job. So, hopefully, you guys are confident enough in your spirituality to take a little bit of criticism tonight. So, first and foremost, we need to be convicted about our own sin. Unfortunately, Christians were viewed to be busy at pointing out other people's sins. And yet, we are not so serious about our own sin. You know, as I lived as a gay man, I felt Christians were telling me that somehow gays and lesbians deserved a hotter place in hell. That Jesus had to hang on the cross a little bit longer for gays and lesbians. But that's not the truth. And yet we certainly give that impression. We look lightly on our own sins. Pride, jealousy, sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage. And we elevate sometimes or we give the perception that we're elevating this sin greater than others. But sin is sin. And we need to be serious about our own sin first, our own personal sin and the sin that often is still in Christian community. And I know sometimes people will say, well, the Bible says it's an abomination, which is true. But the Bible also says in Proverbs chapter 6 that pride, lying, false witness, causing dissension is also a sin. So when was the last time that your friend was a little bit prideful and you told them, you're an abomination? Maybe we should. Maybe that will help with us taking more seriously pride and jealousy and gossiping that grieves the heart of God. So, uh, gay sex is not the worst sin, but I know for many of you that you don't relate with what it's like to be attracted to the same sex, and you might even think it's a little bit foreign. Some people will say, that's just unnatural. That's a perversion, people will say, as if we can have natural and unnatural sins, as if we can have... Perverted sins and not so perverted sins. Any sin is a perversion of God's law. Any perversion, any sin, is a perversion of what God has commanded us. So uh, you know, it's. I know that that those some there are some people that are even disgusted about the sin of homosexuality to the point where they look down upon the LGBT community. They even look down upon Christians who might struggle with same such attractions. And I think that that feeling of disgust that some people might have should, should be a good reminder for them that it is just a fraction of what God feels when he looks at their own sin. And maybe even more because they should know better. So our sin is just as odious in God's eyes than any other sin. Because have you noticed how easy it is to be disgusted about someone else's sin? You know, oh, I can't believe what she's doing. I would never do that. Of course not, because that's not your sin. But we don't say the same thing about our own sin, do we? We like our sin. We toy with our our sin. Let's be honest. Sin feels good for the moment. Or else it wouldn't be sin. We aren't disgusted as we should about our sin. We go to our sin when we feel lonely or when we feel tired, when we, we feel sad. But sin is sin and it grieves the heart of God. So I think a great place to start is to be introspective and look at our own heart. And realize that our heart is deceitful above all else. And we all need Christ. We all are sinners and we all, we all need to recognize that we have to come humbly before God because I think that's a good place to start, humility. Because I want to lead people to Christ. And yet I've never met anyone who came to Christ through a in than thou attitude. Have you? You know, I came to Jesus, this old lady, she was so pompous. No, it's humility and gentleness and conviction about our own sins. so first and foremost let us be convicted second we need to be consistent as we look at the ministry of Jesus Christ he was so patient and compassionate toward the sinners tax collectors adulteress, the prostitute but he was hardest on the Pharisees because they knew God they could memorize the Torah, the, 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 old, the Hebrew Bible, but they weren't living it. They knew God's loving kindness, but they weren't extending God's loving kindness to others. So they were hypocrites. And the unfortunate thing is we all have a bit of hypocrisy as a part of our human nature. And we need to realize that because when we realize that, then we can kind of keep that in check and ask, how might I be inconsistent to the gospel? and unfortunately I think when it comes to homosexuality we have been inconsistent in three ways first of all regarding relationships what's your relationship status are you married are you single and we have this imbalance between marriage and singleness that marriage is viewed to be much more important and even better than singleness and you might wonder how does this connect with sexuality a lot because if our message to the people in the gay community is you need to walk away from gay relationships, or if our message to our Christian sisters and brothers who struggle with same-sex attractions is resist those attractions, don't act upon them, surrender them to Christ, well, what does that mean practically? That for most, be single for a period in your life, if not the rest of your life. And if so, do we have a healthy place for singles to thrive in Christian community. Do we? Not so much. Singles often feel like second class citizens among Christians. That we have elevated I mean, and treated singles sometimes even with disdain. Many of my gay friends tell me what you're saying is your God wants me to be lonely for the rest of my life. That's unfair, people will say and I want to say but singleness is not equated to loneliness I know some people who are married and they're still miserably lonely so it's not marriage that's a cure to loneliness, I'll, I'll tell you the cure to loneliness it's a relationship with the living God that's a cure to loneliness but we have elevated marriage, we have almost idolized marriage that, that we have almost seen it as an ideal. So, um, if you guys are interested, I, I wrote a, a response to the Supreme Court decision, and uh, it, it was published on, on the Gospel Coalition website. If you guys are interested in that, and uh, it will be published on it was published on the ERLC website, and actually Christian Post will be publishing it again. I co-authored it with Rosaria Butterfield, who also has kind of a, a similar past uh, with me. But we titled it, Something Greater Than Marriage. Something greater than marriage. Justice Kennedy, who was the one that wrote the majority opinion, he, he said something uh, that, that goes something like this. He said, Marriage is the highest ideal of love. He, said, he wrote, Marriage is the highest ideal of love. I disagree. Marriage is not the highest ideal of love. Marriage does not have a monopoly on love. What does the Bible say? God is love. The highest ideal of love is Jesus. Jesus is the the greatest expression of love. I mean, what greater love is it that, that someone lays his life for you, for you, for all of us? That's love. So we have to understand that something is greater than marriage and help our churches, help our, the LGBT community, help everyone to see there is something greater than marriage and that's a relationship with God. Isn't that the gospel? That's the gospel. We should never make marriage out to be more than it ought to be, but it's so unfortunate in our culture we have added to that. Think when you you were kids. Remember your teacher would read you fairy tales? How do all fairy tales end? Well, first they get married and then they they get happily, uh, you know, they live happily ever after. The end. End of story. You know, they get married and then that's the end of their life. Yeah, you, we don't get the 10 year checkup or the 20 year. Because there's nothing else good to write about. You know, so <laughs> we don't get the 10 year checkup. Hopefully, they're still living happily after, ever after. But you know what the real lesson is? It is not marriage that should bring you ultimate contentment. It should be Jesus Christ who brings you ultimate contentment first, whether you're married or whether you're single. So, you know, those of you that uh, might not know this, I'm 44 years old and I'm single. So I have a big burden to address this issue of singleness. But I, I, I don't want to be biased and overly pessimistic about marriage. I, I'm not dissing marriage at all. Hear me out. I do believe as the church we must continue to lift up the beauty and gift of marriage. But can I tell you what I think we have done? We have done that at the expense of singleness. We view singleness to be a consolation prize at best and a curse at worst. Many singles in Christian community feel like they have to be fixed. That's why we call it, I want to fix you up with someone. Because they have to be fixed. And I know people mean well, but you know unfortunately what that communicates is people cannot be happy as a single woman or a single man. I have a friend who a missionary, uh, who was a missionary in China, went there single, came back single five years later, and when she came back to the, uh, to the U.S., she hadn't seen a bunch of her friends in a long time. And so when some of her friends saw her, they would ask her similar questions. Do you have, one on, do you have anyone special in your life? Are you dating anyone? She's like, no, no, I'm not. Do you know what some of her friends said to her? can I pray for you it was as if she had cancer singleness by the way is not cancer it is not a curse but we treat it like that so the important question is what does the Bible how does the Bible view singleness in 1st Corinthians 7 Paul spends an entire chapter talking about marriage and singleness And in this chapter, you know, Paul says that not only singleness good, but singleness is a gift. It's a gift. But let me give a little bit of advice here for those of you that are not single. I don't suggest to tell your Christian single friends that singleness is a gift because most Christian singles that I know don't like that verse. They say, I don't care what Paul says that it's a gift. You know, what's the return policy on that gift? You still got that receipt. I want to give it back. I don't want it. I don't want it. And I understand that because singleness has challenges, doesn't it? But there's also blessings. And aren't there also challenges with marriage? But there's blessings that come with marriage as well. Then how come we often just focus upon the enormous blessings of marriage and the enormous challenges of singleness. That's inconsistent. Are you following me? We have to be balanced and give a biblical view of singleness and marriage. Because most people can all agree Amen! Marriage is a gift! But when it comes to singleness they don't agree or, or they can't wholeheartedly say that singleness is a gift. Instead you know what they say? they say singleness who that's a calling seriously I mean you have to be either Superman or Wonder Woman to be single which I don't know if you've noticed but most superheroes are single so what does that communicate you have to have superhuman powers just to be single and the majority of my Christian friends are married and they're happily married but they tell me a secret about marriage and they tell me that marriage Takes work. It takes a lot of work. Giving of yourselves, loving unconditionally, loving sacrificially. According to Ephesians, Paul tells men, Your job is to lay your life down for your wives. Amen, ladies. Amen. So I don't know what husband that doesn't struggle with that high, high calling. So do you know what I say tongue-in-cheek? I say marriage. Woo! That's a calling, seriously. Singleness, that's a gift. I don't have to lay my life down for anyone yet. But I'm not saying that one is better than the other. I'm simply reading the Bible and seeing that we are the church, people of the new covenant. That godly marriage and godly singleness are two sides of the same coin. I think now more than ever as we talk about marriage we cannot do it without talking about the gift of singleness. And that's another thing. We must understand what Paul is talking about when he says gift. We think about gift like a birthday present. Happy birthday. I give you a gift. Or it's Christmas. And I give you a present, as if Christmas is all about presents, that's a whole other talk. Uh, But, you know, those type of presents are to make the individual happy, right? I mean, if I gave you a present and I knew you didn't like it, that wouldn't be a good gift, would it? No. You could choose to not keep it and give it away. I don't want it. That's what a present would be. That word in Greek is the Greek word doron. That's not the word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 7. He uses a different Greek word, and it's the Greek word charisma. That Greek word charisma more literally means spiritual gift. Not like just a regular present or gift. It's a spiritual gift. And when we understand it as a spiritual gift, it gives us a better meaning of what Paul was talking about. So, for example... A regular present is to make a person happy. It's it's for the individual. A spiritual gift is not to make the person happy. And the person, uh, it could, but that's not the purpose. A, A spiritual gift also is not chosen. Like a present, you can choose your present to keep it or not. Spiritual gifts are not chosen. Are they? They're given by God. Are they given to someone who has to want it? Because that's another thing. Sometimes people say, well, I don't have the gift of singleness because I don't want it. They're missing. Paul's point here. Spiritual gifts are given by God sometimes to people when they don't want it. For example, another spiritual gift is the gift of prophecy. So, did the prophets in the Old Testament all want their gift? Anyone hear about a person named Jonah? Right? Even Moses. God called them to, to, to preach to Pharaoh. What did he say? Oh, how about my brother Aaron? Send him. Right? No, God, God gave them the spiritual gift and. There there were consequences of whether they exercised their spiritual gift or not. So what then is the purpose of a spiritual gift? It's not for the individual to make them happy, which it could, but that's not the purpose. You know what the purpose of a spiritual gift is? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, the purpose of spiritual gifts are for the building up of the body of Christ. That's the purpose. So for those of you that are single or you have single Christian friends, the church needs you. And the church, we need to repent in not helping our Christian brothers and sisters exercise this beautiful spiritual gift of singleness. We have not done a good job or any job at all. So not only does the church need singles, but singles also need the church. So we have to be consistent. Because honestly, I don't even know if we're ready to address this issue of sexuality until we redeem biblical singleness first. So we need to be consistent regarding relationships. Second, consistent regarding sexuality. What is God's standard for sexuality? Well, People will say, oh, it's easy. It's heterosexuality because you need to stop being gay, you need to start being straight. That's, That's what it means to be a Christian. You know, I even I even hear people talk about, well the Bible promotes heterosexuality. Does the Bible really promote heterosexuality? Let's think about that statement. So heterosexuality means being attracted to the opposite sex, being sexually intimate with the opposite sex. That's a pretty broad definition. And in that broad definition are many things that the Bible clearly condemns. Adultery, fornication, lust, even like a man looking at pornography, a playboy. That could be considered heterosexuality. It's sin. So God would not hold up as a standard, a category that would include sin. So it's not heterosexuality, it's not homosexuality. Then what is God's standard? Holy sexuality and what is holy sexuality when I read through the full counsel of God there's only two options for us to live out our sexuality one if you're single complete faithfulness through abstinence or if you're married complete faithfulness to your spouse of the opposite sex and I don't have a term for those two categories so I created a term and I call it holy sexuality and what I like about that term is this applies to everyone doesn't matter if you are a man or woman, doesn't matter if you have heterosexual feelings or homosexual feelings. We all need to pursue holiness. So you might think that's that's fine, there's only two options. But people who are gay only have one option, not necessarily so. I have a friend who helps illustrate this point. He lived as a gay man for many years, comes to Christ, he was no longer pursuing gay relationships, he had no interest in girls, so he was going to be single for the rest of his life, and he was okay with that. He was called into ministry, and he had a close group of friends that were like his family. There was a young lady that he became really close with, good friends with. She came from a broken past. She was also a new Christian. They, you know, they had a lot in common. She came from a broken past, not with homosexuality, but she had many boyfriends. They were broken relationships, and she thought she was just done dating guys because she wanted to focus in on relationship with God. So the two of them felt really safe together. Because he knew that she didn't really want to date. She knew that he didn't like girls. So there wasn't that weirdness that happens often between guys and girls. You know, does he like me? Does she like me? So after some time of being just best buddies, he began noticing some things in her that he never noticed before in girls. Her hair. She smelled good. And she had curves. He says, puberty is hard going through. Once trying going through puberty twice. <laughs> he got up enough courage, asked her out on a date, and after some dating, he asked her to marry him. And on their wedding night, he told his new bride, he said, Honey, I can't explain this. I'm not attracted to any other women. I'm only attracted to you. That is holy sexuality. When God brings two people into that miracle of one union flesh, He will provide all those two people need to fulfill that covenant relationship. So we need to be consistent regarding sexuality. Third, we need to be consistent regarding change. What does change look like? What does transformation look like? What does sanctification look like? You come to Jesus. What what does that mean? You know, as Christians, we hold fast to the authority of the Word of God. And we have a strong biblical foundation when it comes to change, when it comes to transformation, when it comes to sanctification. But I think when it comes to homosexuality, we sometimes forget our theology. Let me explain what I mean. Because I think... For many, we believe change, when it comes to homosexuality, means gay to straight. We think change means no longer having any of those feelings or temptations anymore. If so, do we apply that same principle to anything else? Say I have a friend who uh, was a drunk coming, you know, before coming to Christ, he comes to Christ, he stops drinking but he admits that he still has urges to drink but he doesn't would we tell him you have not been changed you need us for for us to lay some hands on you you need some deliverance i hope not i hope not because change is not the absence of temptations you know it's but change is the freedom to be holy in the midst of our temptations God does not promise you come to Jesus and you will never be tempted no but change is even though you're tempted through the power of the Holy Spirit we can still remain holy we can pursue holiness because I think that the manifestation of God's grace would be more evident in his life because he says no to his flesh and he says yes to God. You know, um, we have such a part, uh, it's been somehow just crept into the church, and it's been a part of kind of a a paradigm in the church for 10, 20, 30 years. That we have believed that people are gay or people have same-sex attractions because of an absentee father A dominant mother, or they were abused as a child. How many of you guys have heard that before? So, you know, we think that people are gay because of bad parenting. We don't sin because of something our parents did or didn't do. Your parents don't have that much control over you. We sin because we're sinners. What a concept, right? We sin not because of our past, not because of maybe my dad didn't go to my soccer game enough or, you know, he missed that one tennis practice. That's why I'm gay. I, you know, people don't have same-sex attractions because, you know, maybe I was too close to my mom or too close to my dad. No, that mentality puts so much pressure upon parents And, and, you know, there's a good chance that at a group size like this, there's a parent out there that has a gay son or a lesbian daughter. And I just want to tell you, it's not your fault. No matter what the world is telling you, no matter what Satan is trying to deceive you into, you know, perfect parenting does not guarantee perfect children. So those of you that are young parents, you can take that burden off your shoulder. You know the goal of a Christian parent is not to produce godly children. The goal of a Christian parent is to be godly parents and then leave it up to God. Be as godly and Christ-like as you can. That is your goal. You know, I mean, I don't know why. You know, I I think sometimes we think that, you know, and and, and it's been part of our culture. We have whole organizations and, and ministries and radio programs that are talking about, you know, how parents can do all these things as if we can produce perfect children. You can't. You can't. What makes us think we can when we look in Genesis? Adam and Eve, did they not have a perfect father? Yes. Were they not raised in a perfect environment? Yes. They still rebelled. If Adam and Eve rebelled, what makes us think that our kids are immune to rebelling? So we need to make sure that we take that that burden off. And the other important thing is, you know, when we view that somehow, you know, we sin because of something that happened in our past, we are pushing the blame on others or another situation. When the blame for our sin is right here. And the answer, so, you know, i went through dental school and, and so i you know, mean my, my dad's a dentist so i was in the health you know profession for an in the health science field for a, for a while i mean it was you know years of, of school and i realized it's important for a physician or a dentist or whatever a health professional to make the right diagnosis right if if you're sick you want your doctor to make the right diagnosis why Because whatever is the diagnosis, that will determine the treatment. Right? And when it comes to homosexuality, we have made the wrong diagnosis. We have said that the problem is parenting. The problem is some trauma in your past. And when we do that as a diagnosis, the treatment is wrong. The treatment is send them off to a psychologist. Send them off to a counselor and we farm them out of the church when it's actually the church that is the answer to sin it is the church we as a body of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit we help each other be victorious over sin, amen? so we have to have the right diagnosis and you know what is the right diagnosis? we all are sinners and we all have a sinful nature and you know what's the treatment? Jesus, the gospel. It's as simple and as complex as that. So third, so we need to be convicted, we need to be consistent, we need, and second we need to be consistent. Third, we need to be compassionate. I've been teaching at Moody for nine years. Every year I get about half a dozen students that confide with me about their struggle with their sexual identity. They come to me and they say, I think I'm gay. Oftentimes they don't even know what to say. They don't know how to describe their feelings because they've never told anyone. Can you believe that? Going through almost two decades of their life and not telling anyone this, this deep, dark secret of theirs. Sometimes they continue on and say things like, I hate myself. I was, I was never born. I feel that God despises me. Some suffer with depression and even thoughts of suicide. That should move us. That we have brothers and sisters in Christ who for whatever reason feel that they can't share this with the rest of us, so for some this is an issue between life and death. So what can we do to be a safer, more compassionate, you know, and not just safer, a more redemptive place for people working through issues of sexual identity. First, expect that this is present here. Not be surprised. You know, sometimes people tell me, I was so shocked when I found out my best friend who I grew up in church together. We went to youth group and he struggles with same-sex attractions. I mean, he comes from a good home. He has Christian parents. He was even homeschooled. (laughs) And I want to ask, okay, wait a second. What you're saying is if someone comes from a good home, has Christian parents, and is homeschooled, does that exempt them from struggling with sin? Does it? No, of course not. It doesn't exempt anyone from struggling with sin. Okay, newsflash. I don't want to alarm any of you here, but some of us here actually struggle with sin. I know, I know, I don't, you know, kind of, I know you're surprised. We all struggle with sin, right? I mean, let's just be totally honest here. All of us struggle with sin. I mean, what is the body of Christ? Are are we a group of people who have it all together, don't have any problems, got our ducks in a row, we meet once a week, we hold hands, and we sing Kumbaya? Is that what we are? Or is the body of Christ A group of people who are broken and needy, and we know we desperately need Jesus. I'll just be totally honest with you. I am broken, and I desperately need Jesus. Anyone else out there that remotely relates to that at all? And so let us all hand in hand walk together to Him. Not because I can fix you. I wish I could, but I can't. Not even because I have all the answers. But I know someone who does. And you know his name? It's Jesus. It keeps coming back to that. We have to kind of make sure that our focus has to be where the main focus must be. It's Jesus. It's when we kind of have all these answers that are so complicated and so cloudy that we don't see Jesus, that might be a sign that maybe our answer isn't the right one. It's Jesus. So expect that this is present here. Um, but don't be overly, like, suspicious. Like, when I, when I came out to my mom, this is kind of, you know, right before she became a Christian, she felt like everyone was gay. I mean, they're sitting close together. My goodness, maybe they're gay. He's wearing pink. I never knew. Her, her gaydar was going crazy, you know. <laughs> so we need to be careful about not going overboard, but simply not be surprised that, yes, people in our small groups, our good friends, people that we sit with in the pews, some of them, even our closest (laughs) friends, can have a gay relative, maybe a gay son or daughter, and they're even afraid to tell someone about it. Can you imagine not feeling like you can tell anyone about that? To have someone to pray with, to have someone to weep with, or even more, You could have one of your closest friends and they've been struggling with sexual identity all or most of their life and they're afraid to tell someone. So not be surprised, second, are you able to articulate your position on this issue? You know, sometimes people say, I'll tell you my position on this, it's a sin, don't do it. Okay. But that doesn't really help someone in their time of need. If we're going to have any position, any goal, it's this. I want to lead people into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Not just know Jesus. I mean, 70% of Americans say they know Jesus. They're not born again. So it's about a deeper relationship with Jesus. But why? So that people are willing to surrender everything it's about full surrender it's about dying to Christ you know Jesus tells us what it means to be a follower of Christ he tells his disciples and he says if anyone if anyone that means all of us if anyone would come after me he or she must not an option must Deny himself. Pick up his cross and follow me. We want to just jump over the first two things and just follow Jesus. We don't want to deny ourselves. We don't want to pick up our cross. Following Jesus should cost us everything. And if it hasn't, Maybe we're following the wrong Jesus. Following Jesus should cost us everything. And if it hasn't, maybe we are following the wrong Jesus. Because when you give up everything and surrender it all, and Jesus allows you to keep some things, guess what? We realize those things are no longer ours. They're His. Does that make sense? It's about costly discipleship. Knowing your position. Deeper relationship with Jesus and full surrender. Third, maybe you have a friend who you've always wondered whether they're struggling with this issue. So you want to ask them. So you can walk with them through this. So so how do I bring it up? Don't. Imagine if someone came up to you out of the blue and asked, um, are you gay? Awkward, okay? I don't see how that could ever be natural and, you know, go well. But this is what you can do. Give assurance of your friendship. Tell them, I thank God for you. I'm so glad God put you into my life. And I just want you to say, anything you say or do won't change our friendship. That creates a safe place and invites them in. We should be doing that with all of our close friends, creating that space for transparency. Fourth, let us be serious about stopping the gay jokes and the bullying. You know, we're, we're no longer in junior high anymore, but some of our kids are still in grade school and junior high, and our kids can be cruel. You might not know this, but your kids are sinners too. (laughs) They can be cruel at times. You know, When I grew up, I was called all types of names, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, they didn't know what I was. But on top of that, they called me gay, fag, sissy. You know what my teachers told me? Sticks and stones will break your bones, words will never hurt you. Isn't that a lie? Please don't perpetuate that lie anymore. You know, words have power. I know a word can crush the spirit for months, right? You know that. Our words have power to either build up or to tear down. And I want my words to build up. Because, unfortunately, Christians sometimes justify their gay jokes. It could be a hand gesture. It could be talking with a list. And they justify and say, well, it's a sin. But it's also a sin to make fun of other people, isn't it? Because I wonder, shouldn't it be the church that should be on the forefront in fighting against bullying? Not the public schools, not the gay community. It should be the church, and I'll tell you why. Because it doesn't matter whether someone is tall or short, round or thin, dark or light, gay or straight, they're still created in the image of God. And as a Christian, I must stand up for them. So, can we help our youth? Can we help um, other Christians who might still be saying the gay jokes to kind of be more creative? Maybe expand the vocabulary. What an idea! You know, our kids that say things like "That's so gay," "That shirt," "That's so gay." A shirt can't be gay. It can. I'm sorry. It just can. Shirt doesn't have a sexuality. That television show. That's so gay. You know. Choose another word. Expand your vocabulary. How about this? How about instead of that's so gay, how about that's so Baptist? Or that's so so Presbyterian. You know, something like that. You can, I'm sure, think of something very creative. So we need to be convicted, consistent, compassionate. And then fourth, we need to be complete. And this is complete in our message. Complete in what we say and how we build relationships we focus upon God's truth why because it is the truth that sets us free right it's the truth that sets us free so the question is what is God's truth when it comes to gay sex oh that's easy it's a sin and yes that's true but unfortunately most Christians put a period after that sentence, and they say nothing more. And you know that's equivalent to giving someone a one spiritual law tract. Have you heard of the four spiritual laws? Well, this is one spiritual law that goes something like this. You're a sinner, and you're going to hell. Sorry. In case you didn't know, there's nothing good about that. But that's the message we've been giving to the gay community. You're a sinner, you're going to hell, there's no hope for you. It's no wonder why the LGBT community want nothing to do with Christians. Because we have not been giving them the good news. We have been telling them the bad news. We have not been telling them the full gospel. We have been telling them a partial, partial portion of the gospel. We have not been telling them the complete truth at all. We have been telling them an incomplete truth. And you know, telling someone an incomplete truth can be just as harmful as telling someone a lie. So, what is the complete truth? In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Then, after that, he lists 10 sins. And in that list of ten sins are several sins. Uh, or or, or In that ten sins are two words that focus upon homosexual behavior. Sometimes people look at that list and say, Look, gays and lesbians won't inherit the kingdom of God. Good news or bad news? That's bad news. And when they do that, they just conveniently forget about the eight other sins. Because if we look at all ten sins, none of us should inherit the kingdom of God. That's bad news. But I'm so glad Paul did not stop there. He goes on to say in verse eleven, "Such were." Let me say that again. "Such were past tense." Some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. That ladies and gentlemen is not good news. That's amazing news. That is news that we can stand for the rooftop and declare to any community gay community straight community to any community that needs to know about Jesus Christ so our message must be redemptive it has to focus upon the good news the good news that you can be washed in the name of Lord Jesus Christ you can be sanctified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ you can be justified that's amazing news amen so I'm gonna give you some practical things here before we go into the Q&A On how do we do that? How do we bring all this together? Being convicted about our own sin, compassionate, complete, consistent. How do we be redemptive, bringing the good news? But I'm going to give you some practical things for two groups of people. First, we need to be careful not to put everyone into one group because people have different needs. So, for example, we might have Christians who behold to biblical sexuality, and yet they struggle with same-sex attractions. How would we walk with them? Kind of mentoring discipleship. I'm going to give you some practical things there. But what about others who have same-sex attractions, but they identify as lesbian, gay, or bisexual, but they are not Christian, or they say they're Christian, but they hold to a false gospel that God blesses gay relationships. That's more outreach and evangelism. We need to share them the true gospel. So that's outreach and evangelism. Over here, that's mentoring discipleship. So here, say you have a Christian friend, struggles with same-sex attractions, and they open up to you, maybe after this weekend. They confide with you about their struggle. Do you know what to say or do? One of the first things that we should do is thank them. You know how hard it is to open up to another Christian about sexuality? It could be one of the scariest things. Thank them that they trusted you. It means a lot, I mean, it speaks a lot about you, that they trust you as a friend. Thank them. Second, tell them that they're not alone. Many Christians feel that, uh, Christians who struggle with same-sex attractions feel that they will have to go through life all alone. That's a scary thought, but you can tell them that I want to walk with you to Jesus. Those words could be life for someone. Third, help remind them that their identity needs to be in Christ. I never want to diminish the significance of our sexuality and our, and our feelings and our attractions and our desires, they can be really strong at times. But remember, no matter what we feel, no matter what we think, that should never define us. And this goes to the question of transgenderism, I mean this whole talk was more about sexual identity and not gender identity. Transgenderism is a different issue, but it's similar in this. What priority do we place upon our feelings and our thoughts? That's a question. I mean, when people ask you about transgenderism, I think that's a good question. Just ask right away. Don't say yes or no. You're for it or against it. Just ask them, what priority do we place our feelings and our thoughts? Because that is what it boils down to. Transgenderism elevates our thoughts and our feelings above everything else to us that seems foreign because we know our thoughts can lead us astray our feelings can lead us astray to the world of course you lead with their feelings I mean, I mean think back probably if you went to public school grade school if you had a dream go for it if you think you're spider-man then you're spider-man right <laughs> if you think you're gonna be an NFL player even though you're like a you know like me you know when I was I didn't grow until like I was in senior in high school I was like 5 foot you know I was 100 pounds soaking wet you know and you wanna be an NFL player you are an NFL player is not that the world saying? if you think it if you feel it then it's your reality nonsense I hate I hate to burst any bubble but I'd rather you burst your bubble now than 20 years from now, right? I mean, that's why I think there's just so much confusion because we have all these adults that think, you know, I'm just going to do what, you know, whatever I feel, whatever I think. And that has been fed into us for so long. So it, it, it comes down to what place do we have our feelings and our thoughts? It's not who we are. Because the reality is, some people, it is a reality that people do feel like that they're a woman inside a man's body. Or they're a man inside a woman's body. It's a reality. Why? Because we live in a broken world. Isn't that what we read from the Bible? We all live in a broken world. Your brokenness looks a little different from this, another person's brokenness, another person's brokenness. So not be surprised that people have these feelings. But so... What place do we put these feelings and these thoughts? Where do we put all this brokenness? We need to surrender it to Christ. That's the main thing. So we need to put our identity in Christ, not in our feelings, not in our attractions. Fourth, let's be realistic. Don't give these false promises. You know, read the Bible more, pray really, really hard, and you could pray away the gay. It's not how it happens. I don't read the Bible and pray so that I don't have any problems. You know, it's not like, you know, you, know, you, you just read a verse a day, keep, the, keep Satan away. That's not how it works. It's not. You know, we should read the Bible and pray. One of the reasons we, why we should read the Bible and pray, it's not so that we don't have problems. It's when, not if, when we have problems and difficulties. Hopefully, when we are soaked in God's Word, we can then remain faithful. That's why. It's not so we don't have problems. Fifth, don't focus so much on the externals. You know, uh, in the past, people would focus so much upon mannerisms, and, and not that that's not important, but often it's focused more upon our spiritual maturity. I mean, they even would had conferences before for people who are wanting to come out of homosexuality, and some of the workshops would be, a makeover for women you know that's the solution you know someone who's come out of a lesbian relationship have her hair grow out long get her a nice tight-fitting dress give her makeover and she'll be you know on her way to being straight and I want to ask where's Jesus in that how does that fit in with more intimacy with Christ And, you know, I want to see change from the inside out, not from the outside in. Isn't that how the gospel works? From the inside out, your heart changes. And when your heart changes, it shows. Doesn't even, you know, I mean, if your heart has really changed, it should show in your actions. And even, even in your countenance. Six, encourage God-honoring same-sex friendships. This, besides my need to be intimate with Christ, besides my relationship with God, this was probably the next most important thing. I needed to see how in the body of Christ, I, as a man, loved another man. I'm going to say that again. That I, as a man, loved another man. We should not be afraid of saying that. Men loving men isn't that what the Bible says we are called to love one another but in healthy God-honoring ways not sexual ways it's so unfortunate that when we talk about love people automatically think you're sleeping together doesn't love almost equal sex it's not The highest form of love is not marriage the highest form of love is not sex the highest form of love is not romance it is God's loving us and we're to model that that's unconditional love that's agape love right it's not romantic love as the highest form of love so i need to be i needed to see that you know god knew that i needed to be at moody that's one thing that i love about about christian colleges and universities they have amazing christian community and, and so God put me there. I mean, when, when I applied there, you know, some, some people found out. They're like, why are you going to Moody? There's like all these rules. Well, try prison first. This was freedom. Seriously. <laughs> I could leave my room whenever I wanted, you know? So, um, so it was great. It's freedom. Um, and, you know, but the, the Christian community was just amazing. I had men that I could love as another Christian brother and it was not sexual he was not codependent it was not romantic that's what I needed most because at the core homosexuality it's a desire for intimacy with the same sex and if we think about that that's something that God put in all of us a desire for intimacy with the same sex So it's a legitimate need, but it's only fulfilled in an illegitimate way. It's a legitimate need only fulfilled in an illegitimate way. As a matter of fact, I think many sins are a legitimate need fulfilled in an illegitimate way. So can we help each other to fulfill those needs in healthy, God-honoring, legitimate ways? So we need to be. Uh, that's how we can walk with our Christian brothers and sisters who struggle with same-sex attractions. Then, how do we reach out to the LGBT community? LGBT stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. Now, as I spoke earlier, we've talked mostly about the first three letters: lesbian, gay, bisexual, sexual identity, and not so much about gender identity. But many of these principles apply to how you can share Christ to. Um, your gay friends and even your transgender friends. But let me first tell you, before I say what you should do, here's what you should not do. Do not compare this to an addiction, pedophilia, or murder. Okay, I mean, not all gay men are pedophiles. That's a myth. You know, uh, not all people who are gay are addicted to drugs or even are overly promiscuous. Some are, some are not. You know, sometimes uh, people, people even ask, well, don't gay, you know, aren't gay men, uh, you know, isn't gay relationships uh, promiscuous and in and out of relationships? For gay men, that might be kind of um, not uncommon, but for lesbian women, they're not promiscuous. For most lesbian couples, they're actually pretty committed to one another, so the reality is it's not so much a homosexuality issue for the promiscuity; it's really a male issue. Think about that. Men who aren't Christian—they're just more sexual, more physical—and uh, uh, th- 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 as you look, you know, at men who aren't Christians, you know, at the secular male. Uh, that's just kind of the norm. Men are more physical, are more visually aroused. Women aren't so much visually aroused. or It's more relational, right? It's how you connect with someone. And if she connects with you, then she can fall in love with you. So men, it's not so much about what you look. Thank God. <laughs> it's how you connect with your wife or your, uh, you know, someone you're dating. And... and and in God's wisdom, isn't this amazing? God's wisdom, He brought man and woman together. That's what it's meant, to give some balance. So, uh, so, so you know, when, when men want to be physical, oftentimes the women kind of balance that off. But what happens when you take away that balance? Two men together and two women together. Two men together, then it's much more physical. For gay men, it is physical oftentimes more physical, not because it's a, hom- it's a homosexuality issue, it's because it's a man issue. Uh, and here's evidence of this. If you ever read the classifieds, you know, in the sections, you know, men looking for women, women looking for men, men looking for men, women for women. I mean, and now they're probably going to add all these different options, but, but for now, I think it's just four. Um, you'll, you'll find... Something very interesting. So when you read the classifieds for men looking for women and you read kind of the, some of the things, I mean, it's actually kind of funny. So I mean, you, you know, if you have, you know, if you're in for some humor, read that. So oftentimes, you know, men looking for women. Um, I'm 35 years old. Um, I'm single, a professional, steady job. Um, I, I, I enjoy walks in the park. I love candlelight dinners. I love a movie. Those are all lies, okay? <laughs> all lies. So, um, but read the men looking for men ads, and what do they say? I'm 35 years old. I'm five foot ten. I weigh 140 pounds. I'm very fit. I'd like to work out. I'm muscular, and I'm looking for someone who is, you know, 20 to uh, or 25 to 35 years old, who has, uh, who's athletic, who's it's sort of, It's all physical qualities. Can you imagine if men who are looking for women put all that down? Because that's really what they're thinking. Put all that down. Would they get any calls? No. Of course not, right? No, of course not. But why is that? Because that's just the way men are. So, so you see that, that men are just more physical. And that's why when you take that balance out, the, the women aspect out, the balance out, then two men together results in a more physical sexual Uh, or has a tendency to be that like that. But on the other side, what happens when you put two women together? Not as physical, but you have this relationship, and they're kind of more kind of monogamous, committed, but in that relationship, it oftentimes is this unhealthy, codependent relationship. Lesbian relationships are oftentimes kind of marked by that, Uh, that when a lesbian relationship, when they break up, very common that one or sometimes both have to be hospitalized because of severe depression and suicide. They feel like they cannot live apart from one another. It's this unhealthy codependency because, you know, women are just more relational connection. And that's why God created us to have more, the balance, man and woman. That's the beauty of it. so, we, 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 you know, be careful not to compare uh, those things to an addiction, pedophile, a murderer. Murder, don't compare anyone to a murderer. That's just not a good way to win someone to Christ. Uh, second, don't use these two words, lifestyle and choice. Lifestyle and choice. Why not use those words? Because... For one, I never used those words before I became a Christian. Never. That that wasn't part of my vocabulary. That wasn't how I described my experience. Because I didn't see this as my experience. I saw this as who I was. Big difference. This wasn't something I did. This wasn't something my attractions. It was who I was. And that's a big part because as Christians, we often first go at it as a morality sin issue but when you don't have Christ God's morality doesn't make sense so instead of approaching as a sin issue I think we need to approach it as an identity issue who are you who are you apart from your sexuality that's a good question to ask I talked about that in my book because I was wrestling when I was uh, in prison I didn't have an answer for who I was apart from my sexuality Because I think if we have our correct identity, which which is our identity in Christ, everything else will take care of itself. Um, Then third, don't say the phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin. Live that. I'm saying that's a good philosophy to live by, but don't tell people that. When you tell someone, I love you, but I hate your sin, they don't feel loved. They don't. But just do it. Just love on them. Fourth, be um, don't feel the need that you have to debate with people all the time. That, you know, sometimes, you know, we feel like we have to stand up for God's truth and tell them. You know, well, if they ask, it's a "Do you think this is a sin?" We feel like, well, I have to say yes. But in that situation, I think you can deflect. Jesus didn't answer every question. You can just say, you know, I value our friendship more than debating all that time. All the time, can we celebrate our similarities and tolerate our differences, and just leave it at that? But if someone does ask you, we need to use God's discernment to know when is the right time to speak truth. When God softens their heart, then you could speak truth. So then, what should you do? And we'll finish with that. Uh, first, we need to pray. Pray and fast. Pray for those that have yet to know Christ. Listen. Don't be quick to speak, but be quick to listen. Third, be intentional. Let's not be afraid to go across the street and invite our gay neighbor over for dinner. But I'm going to warn you, if you do, people are going to be talking about you. What are they doing eating with that sinner? Isn't that what the Pharisee said to Jesus? Okay, uh, but if I invite someone in my home who's gay, am I condoning his sin? Well, last time I checked, we usually invite sinners over for dinner. Fourth, be patient and, and persistent. Don't treat people just like your pet project. It's going to take time. Lastly, be transparent. Share what God is doing in your life lately. I know it's not easy trying to share the gospel with someone who has a heart and heart, who wants nothing to do with God. But you know what you can do? Just simply talk about what God means to you. How has God changed you and made a difference in your life lately? Because honestly, we shouldn't be the same as we were 10 years ago, 10 months ago, or even 10 weeks ago. I would never have considered the gospel if I didn't see the gospel lived out of my parents' lives. I would never have picked up that Bible from the trash can if I didn't see the Bible lived out of my father's life and my mother's life. I didn't leave pursuing gay relationships because I thought they were so bad. I didn't even leave it because I thought they were unhealthy. I left it because I was shown something better. And his name is Jesus. Our job as followers of Christ is to show a dying world out there that no matter what they're clinging to, all the fool's gold in the world, whether it's a job, a career, whether it's family or children or a spouse, not only is Jesus better than all of that, but Jesus is best. So let us pray that we will live our lives in such a way that it will be unmistakable to the world that not only is Jesus better, but Jesus is best. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We praise you, Lord God, that you have given us the most precious gift in the world. And that is Jesus. Lord, help us to be women and men who live our lives radiating the glory of Jesus. Lord, give us opportunities to engage our LGBT loved ones and friends and help us to keep what needs to be kept foremost, and that is your Son, Jesus. We praise you and we ask it in his precious and holy name. And The people of God said, Amen. So we have a bunch of questions, and if you have more questions, maybe you can put them toward the middle or raise your hand. And uh, Errol has got his hands full.
0: Okay, this was a lot of fun reading these. There were some pretty, I mean, all of them very, very good. Some of them um, some of them were, were pretty funny, <laughs> but all of them really honest. And so um, I'm going to go ahead, and we're going to have this question-answer time and get through as many of these as we can. And, um, and so if you see me fumbling up here, it's because we've got a lot. But um, there's a lot of them that, that really did focus in. Oh, sweet. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Christopher said, hey, could you get me um, a music stand that doesn't keep on, like, shrinking down? And I said, absolutely, That's, yeah. we're totally gonna hook you up.
1: So he he I, specifically looked for the one that shrunk down.
0: Right, and so I'm back there in the fireside room sorting these all out, and I'm just watching him keep on going, shh, <laughs> shh, and I'm like, at Bible Church quality right there. That's awesome. Okay, so Christopher, one, one that was like, all of, I'm gonna go ahead and start, start you off with a really easy one, okay? Um, <laughs> right. And actually there, there are several on this, but do you think people are born homosexual mm. and or develop throughout their life or do they choose to be homosexual? Is it a choice or is it inevitable for that person?
1: Uh, so I do not believe that uh, people are born gay and I don't believe that people chose to be gay. Those aren't the only two options. We need to realize that um, there are more options than just either born gay or you chose. And I'll explain. Uh, I'll first explain the choice part. Because when we say choice, what exactly are we talking about? What was actually chosen? I think for Christians, what most people say when they say choose, they say you choose to act upon it, which is true. But we have to realize how it's perceived. People hear us saying that you chose to have those feelings which is that true people don't choose their feelings they just they're just especially sexual attractions people don't choose those sorts of attractions; they just either are or they're not so we need to be careful when we talk about choice because it's misunderstood I would much when we talk when we say that people choose that it oversimplifies a very complex situation sexuality is very complex <clears throat> um but are people born gay? To date, there is no replicated research that has concluded that we know what is the cause of homosexuality. Most likely there's enough evidence to show that it is most likely a combination of multiple factors, some that are environmental, some that are also biological even hormonal, even genetic. So how does that fit into our theology? Well, For fun, for one, we know that we all are born of the sinful nature. So when Adam and Eve sinned, all of creation was thrown into disarray, including our biology and even our genetics. I think that it can, can fit in our, our theology. Uh, but overall, even though we don't know what is the cause, uh, what are the, is the factor, whether people, you know... Um, how people are gay. Um, Most of you have friends who, whatever you say, believe that that people are born gay, or they will say, I'm born gay. And How I would respond is, I mean, just say that evidence isn't there yet, Uh, but even though you think you were born gay, I can tell you one important thing about the Bible that tells us that even though you think you're born gay, The Bible says you must be born again. So it doesn't matter whether you think you were born an alcoholic. It doesn't matter if you were born a liar or a cheater or a porn addict. You must be born again. Isn't that the good news? The old is gone. The new has come. You are a new creation. You must be born again. That's the message that is not just for the gay community. That is the message for everyone.
0: How do you personally respond to the point that Jesus himself never spoke against homosexuality? After all, Jesus is the new covenant, and in many ways disregarded and uh, validated many Old Testament laws. Um, are we to live to his example, or if we're to live to his example, how should we respond to this fact?
1: Great question. So, it is completely true that Jesus never spoke about, about homosexuality. But he also never spoke about several other things. Did Jesus ever talk about incest? Anyone? Did he ever say anything condemning incest? No. How about bestiality? Did he ever say anything about bestiality? No. Why do you think Jesus, in first century Israel, never said anything about incest or bestiality? Because in first century Israel, there was never any question. It was basically unanimous that incest and bestiality were wrong. What about Greece and Rome? different story, right? Totally different story. But Israel was totally different, right? I mean, they were almost legalists. I mean, you couldn't even tie your shoe on the Sabbath. So they were like overboard, uh, totally different from the Romans and the Greeks. But Jesus was not coming to the Greeks, was he? He wasn't going to the Gentiles. Who did he go first to? The Jews. Uh, So First century Jews It was unanimous If you read all the extra biblical literature Of the rabbis 200 years before Or 200 years after Or even many hundred years after and before Everyone knew that incest And bestiality were sin Also It was unanimous during that time That homosexuality was a sin as well It was never questioned So Jesus didn't have to waste his breath He came to teach the New Covenant. He came to talk about, uh, you know, and, and to correct false teaching. So if Jesus actually thought that it wasn't sin, even though everyone that he was talking to, all the Pharisees, all the Sadducees, all the crowds, believed it was a sin, I think that he would have corrected their false teaching. He would have told them, no, you're wrong homosexuality is actually okay, but he didn't do that. So I think that is why he was silent, because he didn't have to waste his breath. He wanted to to teach on other things. He corrected many of their false teachings. The Sabbath, remember all those rules that they had around the Sabbath? He called them out on it. So even though it is true, Jesus didn't say anything specifically about homosexuality, he said a lot about sexuality. He didn't say anything specifically about homosexuality, but he had a lot to say about sexuality. As a matter of fact, Jesus says uh, in Matthew 10, uh, in Matthew 19 and Mark chapter 10, he affirms what marriage looks like. When he was asked about divorce, uh, he gave the answer, do you not know in the beginning, the Creator made them male and female, that's from Genesis 1. And The husband shall leave his family and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. That's from Genesis 2. So Jesus was actually saying marriage is between a husband and a wife. He was affirming the Genesis uh,
0: uh, paradigm. And they did have other models out there in the Greek and Roman, you know, empire as far as there were other examples out there, and he didn't affirm those. He didn't didn't affirm those, yep. Okay. Um, a lot, a lot, a lot. And, and I'm actually chucking things that, that you addressed in um, already in your presentation. Some things you'll be uh, reduplicating, but there were several that, that said something to the effect of, I have a gay brother-in-law whom I love very much. He married his partner a year ago. How should I celebrate with them without endorsing their choice? Uh, mixed with others that say... Um, uh, you have a gay wedding. Uh, you you know of someone who's having a gay wedding that you're invited to. How would you handle it? Go yes no gifts yes no, mm-hmm. um, and uh, et, cetera, et cetera. several along the the realm of now especially now that this is legalized. When you came two years ago, this was pretty arbitrary in Illinois, um, yes. and I remember it was one of those things where uh, at the question and answer time someone said how hard how how you know really leaning in should Christians you know. Combat the whole concept of same-sex marriage, and I remember Christopher saying, um, "Honestly, I don't. I don't think that it's a, a fruitful, you know, investment of your time as the church, because this is going to happen." And I remember going, "What?" And then I remember telling Nate that, and Nate's like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but. That, that's that's true, and, and it did happen. Uh, and you, what your 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 emphasis was as Christians, we need to maybe rethink our strategy as far as what is actually going to do something about this. Is it the political avenue or something else? And so you were advocating for that. But in regards to the, these questions, now that it's legalized, marriage is legalized, um, those things are going to happen within our community. People are going to be invited to weddings that are that are gay. Um, how does a Christian respond to those invitations from family members or close friends? What do we do with that?
1: Yeah, well, and, and you know that phrase, love the sin or hate the sin, I'm not saying that that's a bad phrase. I'm just saying don't say it. But I think that's a good philosophy to live by. We need to love the lost even though we don't like their sin. But when it comes to the gay community, we're just hating their sin. What are we doing to love them? So we need to, you know, just ask ourselves, what are we doing? You know, I mean, in the midst of that before, when people are like, should we fight for that? I'm like, you know, I, I can't tell you not to, but I want you to ask yourself, what are we doing to reach out to the gay community? You know, if we're just fighting with them, what are we doing? How was the gospel affecting that? But, you know, of course, so now it is, it is legal in all 50 states. So if you were invited to a wedding, what should you do? Should you go or should you not go? I, I don't, um, when I'm asked this question, I don't give people an answer. Oh, great. <laughs> 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 I think that um, you need to pray. And I would even suggest fast. Yes, fast. That's something I think as a church we need to kind of, you know, do more, to to understand what that means. Because I think sometimes, you know, I mean, Jesus even says, you know, sometimes this won't go away without fasting. And we need to just sometimes fast. uh, Especially through these big questions and and issues. Um, So I think we need to pray for God's discernment. Because I don't think that there's one answer. I don't want to say you need to go or you should not go. But there's big ramifications for whether we do go or don't go. Two things are at stake. First, does our loved one or friend know what we believe? Do they know that we are a follower of Jesus and we hold to biblical sexuality? Second thing is, do they know we still love them? If you don't go, it's clear what we believe, but it's maybe misunderstood that we love them. If you do go, it's clear you love them, but maybe understood that you what you believe. So if you if you feel God is calling you to uh to not go, I would be sure to do something else to uh, show them you do love them. Take them out to a nice, fancy dinner. And, and, and I would say them, both of them, because we want both of them to know Christ. Um, take them, I mean, and, and I say a nice dinner. Don't take them out to just McDonald's, you know, maybe like Chick fil A or something like that. You know, no, no, not Chick fil A. That would not be good. No. Um, not that I don't like Chick fil A, but that could be totally misunderstood. <laughs> You know, take them to Wendy's or something. I don't know, uh, but uh, you know. But if if you are praying and and you feel that maybe God is saying, you know what, they know what I believe, um, and uh, you know, you know, you think maybe God is saying it's okay to go. Realize that even though most people who go to a wedding they're affirming the relationship, but not everyone who goes to a wedding is condoning of the relationship. For example, (laughs) in-laws. Not all in-laws that go to a wedding are in agreement of the relationship, and yet they're still there. And the couple clearly knows where the in-law's position is, but they still go because that's their son, that's their daughter. Um, So I, I, I think just simply going doesn't mean you're endorsing. It could, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. Um, If it were to be done in a church, even if it's a liberal church, I would have a little bit of issue with that because it's done under the impression that God is blessing and He he isn't. You know, if it was done in a courthouse or in like a, you know, banquet hall, maybe, you know, it's just a piece of paper that they're signing. It's not done before God or the church. So I, I... I wouldn't have as much issue with that. Or I know some people who are, they don't go to the ceremony, but they would go to the reception, you know, the the dinner, right? Free free food, right? So they would go to the reception. um, And I would suggest to be careful of, of what you communicate to them, you know, as you're going through the line. Everyone's saying, congratulations, congratulations. I wouldn't be able to congratulate them. But I could say, I love you. So glad you're in my life. You know, affirming the person, not the relationship. We need to focus on, I'm going to affirm the person and even his partner. You know, so good to meet you. You know, uh, so glad that, you know, we're friends and, you know, I get to be a part of your life. Um, Don't get them one gift. One gift represents the couple. I would get them two individual gifts. You know, it's subtle, but at least I know that my conscience is free. Are Are you kind of seeing the difference there? Uh, and so, uh, the distinction. Um, and so I would, you know, maybe get, get them a Christian gift. Uh, get them our books. You never know what God could do. God could use that. Um, so.
0: But not with a gift card to Chick-fil-A.
1: Right. <laughs> no <laughs> gift card from Chick-fil-A. Okay.
0: Um, the, have you w- witnessed firsthand monogamous, committed, homosexual relationships first? And secondly, for those monogamous... Um, committed homosexual relationships and their interaction with you, how does that go? I mean, how, what has their response been to your position, your stance on, on these things?
1: Yes, uh, I, I have. So, um, you know, it, it is a myth that all gay relationships are not committed, and, you know, some are, some are not. But, but that, I mean look at the secular world, you know, are all secular heterosexual relations, you know, committed? No. I mean, they're in and out of relationships. I mean, you know, go to a college campus. I mean, it's serial dating and it's, uh, so it's, it's not a surprise. I mean, people are like, look at those gay people. And it's like, look at those unbelievers, you know? So I I always try to help people to see it's not a gay issue. It's a heart issue. Um, and um, so how do they relate with me? I, I think oftentimes uh, com- people in committed relationships, uh, one of the big accusations that I often get from the gay community now is that um, I'm, I'm promoting the idea that all gays and lesbians are promiscuous, do drugs, etc. you know, which I hope I've tried to clarify, I'm not doing that. Um, some do, some do not, uh, but, sometimes Christians, we do give that impression that, oh my goodness, they're gay, you know, you know, don't be gay, you know, because if you're you, then you're going to start, you know, shooting up drugs, and that's, you know, no, um, or or if, don't be gay, because if you do, then you'll have, like, tons of, you know, uh, uncommitted relationships, so, uh, so I, I do have people who are, are in committed relationships, and they troll me on social media, and they, you know, they're always kinda, you know, kind of, you bashing me in my view, and, and, and I just try to respond, and just, you know, I want you to know Jesus, you know, it's, it's really, the sexuality aspect is not the biggest deal, that, that, it's just a peripheral issue, and as Christians, sometimes we want to focus upon these peripheral issues, you know, you're sleeping with your girlfriend, or you're gay, or you know, you're doing drugs, and it's really a hard issue, that's what it comes down to.
0: Okay, so you, you kind of, uh, a couple of these you, you've uh, addressed already, but just to bring it back, um, how, for a parent who's talking with a child and they their child has come out to them, um, um, les- lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, whatever, what would be the, the ideal way a, a godly parent could you know, accept that information, listen to that information, and what do they do?
1: So... I would say the best, um, like just that first step, thank them, and immediately right after that say, I want you to know I love you, and nothing will ever change that. I would say that again, I love you, and nothing will ever change that. I don't know what else you need to say. The unfortunate thing is, parents would often say, I love you, nothing will ever change that, but. Don't say but. (laughs) Because when you do, that just negates everything that you just said. Don't say but. Wait Wait for the next conversation. Right now, in this situation, you need to affirm, I love you. No matter what. They might not fully understand what that means yet because oftentimes when they hear that, they think, oh, then you're affirming of me. I, I really don't think, you know, your, your kids know you pretty well. They know you're not just going to switch, you know, and, and I'm sure that they probably know what you believe, that you believe that God is God, that Jesus is his son. He died for our sins. You believe in the authority of the Bible. You believe in biblical sexuality. I think, I mean, if you are living an authentic Christian life, and if you've been, you know, coming to Manuka Bible Church, hearing the Word of God preached, I think your kids probably know that. We don't have to reiterate that. But what they're most fearful of is that we hold to that, and we will reject our kids. I think that's a, a big tragedy, is that sometimes, and I don't think this is the norm, but sometimes Christian parents will kick their kids out of the home because for them, coming out is gay or, or transgender or whatever. And that isn't a good, good situation. We need to just tell. And then just, the next thing that I would say is, tell me more. I love you no matter what. I love you no matter what. Tell me more. And listen. And then get to how does your faith play into this? I think that's really the the most important question. How does this affect your faith? Because that's the core issue. Where they land on their faith is going to guide them in how they respond to their sexuality. Does that help? If they are sold out to Jesus and they're willing to surrender everything, I can be at ease. I mean, not completely be at ease, but I feel more comfortable. Then if they're like, I don't know, or, you know, and it's like, well, let's focus upon your faith more than let's focus upon this. See what I mean? Again, it comes down to what are we putting more emphasis upon, their faith or their sexuality? We need to help them see that it is your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that is more important than anything else. That is what going, that's going to be our compass through life, through everything, navigating through issues of sexuality. Our compass needs to be our faith.
0: This kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with that answer, um, but in what ways can or should a Christian parent aid financially their practicing homosexual child? So this
1: goes to uh, another aspect. So like, like that's kind of the initial thing if they're opening up. I mean, if you're having this heart-to-heart talk with your kid and, and they open up to you, you now, usually it's not you know where your kid is kind of going crazy and doing drugs or promiscuous or you know, all those crazy things that I unfortunately was involved in. You know, because in that situation, they're probably much more rebellious and not willing to sit down and, and open to you, right? I mean, if, if, if you have a child that just bears his soul, we need to be sensitive with that and, and, and care with that lovingly and, and, and carefully. But if you have a kid who's just wasting his money, getting high, getting drunk, out all, all the night, probably their attitude is going to be different from the child who's sitting down with a parent and say, Mom, I have something to tell you, right? I mean, different kind of situation. So I'm not saying, you know, we need to just be, you know, just do whatever our kid says. That's what I'm not saying. But when you have a kid who has these authority issues, because I think that's really often what it comes down to, is authority issues, um, we cannot just be a a welcome mat. You know, we need to um, have healthy boundaries. But be very clear that it's not their sexuality. You know, it's not, you know, it's nothing to do with you being gay. You're just not honoring us. You know, you're doing drugs. You're staying out. You, you said you'd be home at 11 and you're home at 3 in the morning. You know, you know, you 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 say one thing and you you know and you do another. So that's that's the issue and so in that situation should a parent continue to support them? And yeah, I, I do not think so. We should not. So there's a term. Uh, well, there's celebrate recovery here, yep. and so some of you guys are, probably are familiar with the term enabling. I mean, any of you guys heard of that before? Enabling. So enabling uh, means. Um, I don't know if it's. A, I don't know the exact definition, but I'm just going to explain it. Enabling means when a person of an addict um, is trying to love that person but in effect is actually harming them and enabling them to continue in their addiction. For example, a husband is an alcoholic, he gets drunk on Tuesday night, wakes up Wednesday morning and just is just hungover and cannot go into work. So he asks his wife, can you call in sick for me at work? And she does, lovingly, right? That's enabling. Okay? That's one example. So parents do that all the time. So you have a kid. Actually, let's just replace that. You have a kid that goes and gets high and drunk Tuesday night, living at home, comes home drunk, cannot get, get up for, to go to work, and he asks his mom, can you, call in, work, uh, you know, call in sick for me? And she does. That's enabling. Enabling is taking away the consequence of someone's actions. And we think we're doing that lovingly. We're not. We're we're enabling them, keeping them in their addiction. So, by a parent continuing to give money to an adult child when he is not listening to your kid, is enabling. So there has to be consequences if your kid is, you know, continuously not listening to you. So I'm, I'm not saying, you know, I think that there needs to be grace, and, and you guys. So I, I I'm not. I've never been a parent, so I don't know what is the perfect thing, you know, so I I don't think a one strike and you're out, you know, is necessarily helpful. I think, you know, we need to have some grace, but not, you know, 10 strikes and we're still kind of negotiating, you know. I think there needs to be some healthy boundaries. If they're consistently rebelling and not listening to you, and you're still paying for their school or their car insurance and getting them all these things, that's enabling. So that's when I would say, no, I'm not, you know, you're an adult. And, and you can do whatever on your own. And it has nothing to do with a person's sexuality, but it all has to do with their heart.
0: Um, this, is, this is an interesting one, because when I first read it, I'm like, what? what is this all about? But it, it's, it's actually pretty common. Can you help us deal with the shellfish argument? Yeah. Well, first off, could you explain, what is the shellfish argument?
1: Right. So um, the Old Testament um, in Leviticus 15 says uh, that... Uh, we are not I'm sorry Leviticus was written to Israel so it was told Israel do not touch shellfish do not eat shellfish any of that uh, and even goes on to talk about other animals so even pigs and the, the way they're hoofed and stuff like that so all these animals even the eagle uh, do not touch them do not, even, uh, do not even do not eat them do not even touch them because you know that was wrong so that's why um, you know, Jews, they don't eat shrimp, they don't eat lobster, they don't eat um, you know, pork, any of that. I mean, I feel for them, really, I do. Um, so, But then today, we eat all that, right? I mean, how many of you got like red lobster, right? I mean, bacon. Right, bacon, I love bacon. When I got out of prison, Um, they didn't serve any pork in prison because of the Muslims, etc. So when I got home, my mom was like, what do you want to eat? I was like, pork, anything pork, like pork chops, pork, you know, bacon, whatever. And Chinese people, that's like, uh, that's all the meat is pork. So I was like, give it. I mean, I was like, I just want to eat pork. I loved it. Um, And, you know, I'm so glad, Christians, we can eat pork. Hallelujah. Anyone? Amen. Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. We can eat pork. Why, though? That's an important question that Christians, we need to understand. And actually, that was one of the things I forgot to mention about, um, where I think one of the persons asked, uh, Jesus disregarded some laws. Jesus never disregarded any law. He actually said every jot and tittle, I mean, every aspect of the law was important. He never disregarded any law, but he fulfilled laws. There's a big difference. So the food laws. Why do we eat pork? Why do we eat shellfish? In Acts chapter 10, Peter gets a vision. I don't know if you remember this vision or not. Um, dropping from heaven is a sheet. I call it the big picnic spread from heaven. Okay? drops it down from heaven and what is on this on sheet? All unclean food. So I'm imagining like a big Chinese buffet. Okay. You know, all this, you know, a big Chinese buffet. And Peter's like, I can't eat. It's unclean. What does the voice from heaven say? Do not call anything unclean that I have made clean. In so doing, not only opening the door for Gentiles, and we're all Gentiles, right? I guess most of us, were all Gentiles. But also saying that the food laws and unclean laws have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Big difference. Not disregarding, but fulfilled. Uh, So that's why we can eat pork and shellfish. We do not get that for morality issues. Uh, And so we we need to distinguish. Jesus, you know, fulfilled all the unclean laws. So what in the Old Testament has been called unclean? Uh, We look at the penalty for some of the things that are mentioned in Leviticus. So what's the penalty for... Um, you know, all these different things. Uh, For example, eating shellfish or touching shellfish. The penalty for that was being unclean until evening. So it could be worthwhile if you ate a late night snack. You know, you have to weigh your options. (laughs) Um, But notice that it is being unclean, not death. The penalty for A moral sin is death. That's why the penalty for homosexuality was death. And I know the response often is, okay, well, if you're saying this is a sin, as it says in Leviticus 18.22, well, then we must also hold to the penalty, Leviticus 20.13, which is death. And I'm going to say something that is going to be kind of radical to many of you, but I do believe the death penalty still stands. And I'll tell you why. When we go to the New Testament, in the book of Romans, Paul tells us the wages of sin is death. So it doesn't matter whether you lied, cheated, look at porno- pornography, lusted after a woman. We all deserve death. And that is why we need a Savior. Savior. 2,000 years ago, they needed a Savior. Today, we are in still desperate need of a Savior. That is not a message for the, just for the gay community. That is a message for all.
0: All right, I've got two more questions, maybe three. Um, cause you've really addressed a lot of, a lot of what we're, we've talked about. Um, if, if, if you have a question and it hasn't been answered, I want to encourage you to go back. We're going to podcast this and give you the opportunity to re-listen to this and kind of go through and, and be, so some of you have been like furiously taking pictures and taking notes. You really didn't have to do that. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to tell you now, so you did it. Um, <laughs> but no, you can go back and just listen through all those and, and, and really uh, sink your teeth in those. Um, Really, quick, actually, it, I'll just ask this one before those final two. This is just really quick. Um, I don't expect those outside of the church to live biblically, um, but if you could just quickly respond, how do we deal with more and more professing Christians, family members, Tony Campolo, etc., who say we've been misunderstanding the Bible all along? Um, well, it- so how do, yeah. How do you deal with the Christians that? And I think you kind of you did address that, but how do we how do we do that best?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think lovingly that that um, we need to realize that um, I, I think that we need to, when we talk about biblical sexuality, especially when it comes to homosexuality, it has to be much more than the six passages that condemn it, three in the old, three in the new, because that is how... Uh, the gay affirming Christians, are, are usually kind of, they're ready to defend and come up with all these I, actually crazy excuses. Um, but sometimes I just, I don't even want to get into that. I'm like, well, let's look at the rest of the Bible. Let's look at the examples in the Bible and where God talks about sexuality in general. And what we find is that the examples in the Bible of marriage and sexual intimacy that that God blesses are between a man and a woman. I mean, from Genesis all the way to Revelation that we have the example between, you know, marriage between a husband and a wife. Um, We also have to have a better theology of singleness, which I talked about, because people, you know, believe that it, often it comes down to why they hold to and they're gay affirming Christians is that they view the biblical view as being unfair because being single is unfair. So we have to have a help healthy understand that. But other thing is we have to have a, a stronger theology of suffering. We are wimps here in America. Seriously, I mean, you know, we get a little bit of pushback and we're like, oh, I'm being, you know, being persecuted. We're not being persecuted. You know, I don't see Christians really being killed for our faith. I mean, what happened in Charleston, horrendous as that might be, that killer wasn't in there because they were Christian. It was because of their race. We're not being killed, you know, Christians here. We're not even yet being prisoned. You know, and, and that's another thing. People are like, oh, you know, we're going to get, put in prison, and, and I, I, I don't think that that's going to happen because, because it's big part of our constitution, you know, that, that for religious uh, freedom. So I don't, because like Canada, they don't have as strong of a part of their, um, they don't have a constitution. What do they have? I don't know. A queen thing. I don't know what they, the queen's <laughs> letters. Um,
0: Parliamentary...
1: Parliamentary... Moose... Documenta- documents. Uh, thing. <laughs> yes. Um, royal something or other. Um, but so it, that could happen in like Canada and other countries, but that is such a big part that I don't really see it happening. Not to say that it couldn't, um, but, but I, I'm more concerned about uh, not so much churches, but I'm, I'm more concerned about um, Christian institutions like... Um, uh, Moody, like um, you know Wheaton College, you know these institutions like World Vision, um, you know what can happen w- with our with our culture. But you know I I, I don't yet think. But but I'm kind of like bring it on. I've been to prison here in the US and it ain't that bad really. I
0: was going to you know? say, if it, it does happen, you can come back and kind of instruct us. I know, I can on... give
1: classes on, you know, like that movie that they have, that guy, you know, teaching about how to be ready for, you know,
0: right. Finding I, I'll, good I'll books in the trash can, <laughs> things like that. <laughs>
1: right, exactly, you know. Yeah, you...
0: Okay, so, uh, this, is a, this is a church question, but, but your opinion on it. Should churches baptize believers who are in an openly gay relationship if they uh, want to take that step? but don't believe their behavior is sinful? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we need to make sure that how we answer this question, especially when it comes to how we do church, we need to make sure that we apply this principle to everything else. So the question is, if you have um, a gay man or gay couple, uh, they become Christian, they want to get baptized, um, should we baptize them? You know, they say they're Christian, they have a testimony, they, you know, they, they know they're sinners, but they do not believe that this part of their life um, is sin. They do not hold to biblical sexuality, so should we still baptize them? Well, we need to step back and say, in general, would we baptize someone who says they're a Christian, but they are still unrepentant of their sin? The issue isn't whether we sin or not. We all sin, right? The question is, are we in serial, unrepentant sin? That's the main question. Are we in serial, unrepentant sin? So for most men, you struggle with lust. I'm sorry, we struggle with lust. But the, but the reality is, I mean, hopefully you're saying, you know what, I just, you know, I just look lustfully after women, and that's wrong, God forgive me, I'm repenting, and I'm going to walk toward holiness, okay? That's a difference from another guy who says, man, I just looked at a hot woman. You need to look at her too. I know you're married, but I mean, she is fine. I mean, and actually here's some naked pictures that you need to look at too. You know, and you're passing around church. There's a little difference between the guy who says, I just looked at porn and that's wrong and I, I need to repent and I just confess it to my pastor and another guy who's unrepentant of his sin and actually kind of encouraging others to sin. Are you kind of seeing the difference? So, would we kind of, would we be willing to baptize this guy or talk with him? I think there still needs to be, you know, maybe some work. I mean, if he's repentant and working through his, you know, I, I think as a church we need to decide that. But I, I don't see as much of an issue with him being baptized. But if someone else is like, he's looking at porn, he's passing it around in church and to kids and stuff like that. Then he's saying, it's not a sin, but I'm a Christian. Would we baptize him?
0: Yeah, good distinction. Okay, last question. Uh, the Lord saved me several years ago from an addiction to pornography. So this is kind of in line with what you're just saying. When my secret was discovered, I turned to God in prayer, and he uh, took my, addition, my addiction away. Now several years later, I'm finding my faith slipping. What can I do? And that goes along with the next question of, what steps do you take if and when you feel like you're starting to weaken? Mm.
1: Uh, so, so praise God. I mean, appreciate your transparency. I mean, um, we all are coming out. I often tell people we we maybe need to learn some things about the gay community. The gay community they celebrate coming out of the closet. There's even a national coming out of the closet day. I think Christians we need to have a coming out party. We need to come out of our struggle, whether it's an eating disorder, pornography addiction, whatever it is. But the difference is that we surrender to the Lordship of Christ. And when I say come out, I'm not saying like they just come out and announce it. We need to come out to a friend, a trusted friend, a trusted brother or sister, a pastor, a, an, an elder. Come out of your struggle with sin and surrender to Jesus. I, I think there's th- that's what authenticity means right? I mean, the world is talking about authenticity. That's being authentic. I'm being as authentic as, as I know how to be. Um, so, it, appreciate uh, whoever asked this question and your transparency. Um, so, the reality, and, and so you're saying now that you're kind of finding um, that your faith is getting weak. Um, join the club. Being human means that our heart is prone to wander and just walk away from God. I love something that D.L. Moody said. Uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but D.L. Moody was not educated. He wasn't. I mean, he didn't graduate from high school. He was a shoe salesman, uh, but mightily used by God. Uh, and he said, you know, people are asking D.L. Moody, he's like, why are you always talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit? And he said, I leak. That is one of the most profoundly theological statements I've ever Wasn't heard. Wasn't it a lady,
0: an old lady that came Was, up? To yeah, and yes. she came up and he, and he says, Why do you keep on talking about being filled by the Holy Spirit? He says, Madam, I leak.
1: <laughs> I love it. It's so true. I mean, we all leak. We all just, that's just our human nature. And so the fact that whoever asked this question is, Your faith is getting weak. One, no, you're like everyone else. Welcome to the party. We all leak. Um, so what's the answer? First, we need to intentionally press in to God. We can never just expect that we are just going to just naturally just love Jesus. And, and you can at times, because I think faith, your faith walk is kind of like a roller coaster. At times you're just like, you feel the wind is along your back, and you're kind of running through a field of, you know, I don't know, daisies or whatever you know, flowers are not fields. I don't know. I'm a suburban guy, so we don't have fields. Um, and, you know, things are just wonderful and beautiful. Uh, but at times, it really is uphill. So it, it is always a constant battle to be close with God. So you need to be daily working on your spiritual disciplines. I mean, that's why they call it discipline. It takes effort. It takes a conscious effort to work on our intimacy with Christ. That could mean doing your morning devotions, but I don't want to be legalistic about morning devotions. That might work for you, it works for me, but maybe for you it's evening devotions. I mean, I don't know, you know, if you're a night owl or whatever, mornings, you have to find what works right for you. Just like, you know, I I like to work out. I, I go to the gym, I hate running, but I like to work out, but I can't work out in the morning, I'm dead in the morning. I'm, just, I'm not a morning person. I go in and I just feel like you know, a piece of meat. I can't lift anything. So I, like, I, I usually work out later in the evening. So the same thing. When is the kind of prime time for you to be working on your spiritual disciplines, getting close with God? And, and we need to be also kind of conscious about praying without ceasing. Throughout the day, do you, when you're driving, do you just ask God of question? It doesn't have to be this formal thing and... Dear God, and you start, you know, break out into KJV. You know, no, I mean, it, it just talk with God and say, you know, if someone asks, you know, let, let, you know, can you pray for me? You know, oftentimes we say, yeah, I'll pray for you. How about let's pray now? You know, uh, so know what, what what are some things that, that you can really foster your intimacy with Christ. But then the second most important thing is, um, Are you connected with the body of Christ, the church? We take too lightly the body of Christ. And we sometimes treat church like a building and a social club. It's not. The Bible never talks about the church as a place or something you do. It is people. So the, I think one of the best things uh, next to our own personal intimacy with Christ is pressing into our relationship with other people. Not because it's the other person that's going to help you, you know, with that, but it's when we do that, that helps us with our intimacy with God because that, that needs to be first and foremost. So I, I think those are the things that help me. I have some, you know, accountability partners that I bear everything with. I have my parents that that are a big part of my spiritual journey and, and spiritual health. Um, so I think we need to be open up more and, and, ask, and be honest with, with your good buddy that, you know, that's your accountability part and be like, I'm just feeling weak now. You know, walk with me, help me. Open up to your pastor. Open up to uh, an elder or deacon in the church.
0: So here's the deal. As a church, we said this last week, um, at the beginning of the message. But as a church, we are going to ongoingly be committed to two things regarding this issue and, and other issues, but this issue as well. The first is is that we're going to keep on preaching uh, from God's Word, and we really do believe that the Bible is an equal opportunity offender. It hits all of us because it cause, cause, calls all of us to surrender before a Savior who's the only one and the only hope that we have. Okay. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we're going to continue to be the type of church that keeps these doors open to anyone who's coming before that savior as people who are broken, who want to be exposed to the gospel, have an opportunity to worship God. There's no matter no matter what person, no matter what their backdrop, background, baggage, whatever. This place is a place where we want to have an open door to them because that's each one of our stories that we can walk alongside them as well and say this this is, this is the Savior who has done this in our life. I want to encourage you, if you're someone who this, whether it's, um, it's something within um, the gay community uh, or, 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 or anything else that, that honestly is just something that, that's a deep-down secret, one thing that I have discovered is that secrets are cancer. And that is, that as, as Christopher mentioned, that is the place that Satan will continue to do his best work in your life, destroying you. And so never, no matter what your secret is, um, let this be the type of church that has open arms of grace and open arms of, of, of just absolute love and affection and open arms that are directing people right back to Christ. Amen? Amen. Um, as we close tonight, I want, us to, I want to just pray for my brother here. Um, this, I love this guy, and I love what he's doing. Um, but you know if he's doing something for the kingdom, especially in this time, he's going to have some serious attack. And so I want to pray for him. I'm going to pray for his parents as well. Um, but if you would just stand and uh, join me in praying for Christopher and his parents. Come on over, man. Lord Jesus, I just give you thanks for your servant, for your servants. Lord, it's one thing to um, have wishful thinking about great stories that end great sometimes we just think reality doesn't doesn't roll that way that instead we, we see more often the carnage and not the the redemption so we give you thanks for uh, the redemptive story that we had a chance to hear this weekend um, that's more than a story it's a reality Lord, I thank you that the hope that we have is not um, in our uh, diligence or our self-control but it's in in you God, I pray that you um, just make a a mark on this community in Manuka Bible Church, at the Village Church, and Grace, and all the churches in this community that that are lifting up your name, that they will be beacons of hope for every single person no matter what they're going through. That their lives will have have an opportunity to be transformed by you and you alone. And collectively, God, we we just lift up our hands to reach out for for that, that end goal of your glory. In people's lives and when we see that take place we will give you the thanks and we'll give you the glory it's in your son's name that we pray and all God's people said amen 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 amen.